Hello, I'm Annette Badland, and you're listening to The Sirens of Audio. Shake your booty. I'm shaking mine. Coming up in today's episode, we're going to be speaking with Elizabeth Morton. She is the wife of Fifth Doctor Peter Davison, and she's going to be talking with us about her recent book release, as well as some of her other work, and she's going to be talking about her appearance on Big Finish with The Fifth Doctor. We're also going to be talking a little bit about other families who work in Doctor Who across various media, whether it be television or audio. So make sure you comment below. Let us know if we've missed anyone or if you can think of anyone else that may be part of a Doctor Who family who uh, is involved with the show. Finally, we're going to be reviewing a couple of things. Philip is going to be reviewing a, a recently released Lost story. And I'm going to be recommending something that Philip recently reviewed by sending out a few little tweets. I read them, I listened to the story, and I enjoyed it. Stick around to find out which one it was, and we hope you enjoy the show. G'day audiophiles, this is the Sirens of Audio, the show that explores the universe of Doctor Who and the audio medium. I'm Dwayne. And I'm Philip. G'day Dwayne, g'day audiophiles. How's, how's it going, Philip? We're doing this in the daytime again. I know. Something's wrong. Well, we need to stop saying that because it's becoming the norm. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. How are you? I am doing fine, thank you. How are you going? Not too bad. It's a very rainy old day. Here in Tasmania, so it's a good day to keep the PJs on and listen to some audio. Yeah, well, it's not raining here; it's cool. Actually, it's probably it's a, we've had very hot days the last couple of days. Today's the first day our air conditioner kicked in at some point, so that's unusual. But mm. no, it's fine. It is winter, right? I'm well, sure everyone us. wants to know about uh, our, our our weather in our locations. So, yeah, well, there uh, is, thanks, well, most thanks people, for continuing to listen. Most of the people <laughs> listening to us are in nice sunny weather, I believe. Mind you, I did see that. Yesterday was one degree warmer here than it was in London, and then in okay. summer. Right. Well, that's good for London, isn't it? Oh, yeah. London, London has a lovely couple of months, usually. <laughs> well, London's one city, but Liverpool is a city that we're going to be talking a lot about Liverpool, today. yes. Uh, because today we're going to be speaking with Elizabeth Morton, and for those who don't know who Elizabeth is, well, she is actually the wife of Peter Davison, which is why I've cleverly titled this episode The Doctor's Wife uh, to try and catch everyone off guard. Uh, she's actually The Doctor's Wife. Yes, so literally. An, a, an interesting situation, to be, an interesting family to be in with so many Doctor Who connections. Um, but Elizabeth has recently released a book. We're going to talk about that. But before we talk to her uh, about some of her work and some of her Doctor Who experiences as well, I want to talk a little bit about some of the Doctor Who episodes that she's been in. But before we do, Philip, do you know what? Uh, what, Dwayne? We have to jump down the rabbit hole. Let's go. <laughs> All right, Philip. 
Today is one of those days you're going to hate me, but uh, it's one of those days where you are going to give me <sighs> the rabbit hole question. Go for your life. <laughs> Only because I didn't think it would be self. Gee, thanks. That. Well, as we're dealing with the Doctor's wife, um, how many other Doctor Who family members and connections can you think of in Doctor Who who appeared on audio Ooh. or the series? Well, you've got... We've got the Troughton boys. Yes. Of course. But not only that, we've, Big Finish have been using Sam Troughton as well. Who's he the son of? Is he Michael's son? Or? He's Michael's son. And I know Sam Troughton best from Robin Hood because he was in the um, BBC recent, more recent production. I say recent, it's probably 10 years old or more now. But actually, yeah. he, was, he was all through that. But yeah, so you've got Michael playing now his father's role as the second Doctor. Yep. But, but we also, yes, we've had... Um, Michael as well, and David playing, of course, Peladon throughout. And as you said, yeah, we've had um, the other children. And of course, what I had realised is um, Weasley, not not Weasley, on in Harry Potter films, Dursley, um, the son. Never seen him. Don't know. You never watched the Harry Potter films? No. Oh, okay. Because that's, that's also one of Patrick's um, grandsons playing the boy Dursley. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. But, um, okay. He's another. He's another Troughton, but he's not. He's not. He's not. He's got his mother. It must be from the mother's line or something because hasn't got got the Troughton name. Sylvester McCoy's son or sons? Was he two sons appeared in the Curse of Fenric? They did. Seen and, I, and I think one of them has actually been on Big Finish. I've got a vague feeling one of them had a role in Big Finish as well. But yes, that's another. Oh, connection. speaking of Big Finish, Rosie Baker is. Uh, has just done an interlude. I can't. I can't remember which one it was. Is or was she announced as doing an interlude? The six, she's done a six doctor one. She yeah, actually, Rosie, she, Rosie's been Colin Baker's daughter, and she has actually done some of the big finished stories too. Yep. Yep. So we've got we've got George Watkins as well, uh, which we're going to mention. So he's related to the Davisons. He's the nephew of Peter. That's right. <clears throat> I've forgotten that one. So he ha- he played Mark, didn't he, in the Mark arc? Yes, he did. And he was superb. I actually had forgotten that connection. They wrote. He was good. He was very good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, Anyone George, else? George Moffat. Oh, yes. That, so, yeah, both Peter's I'm, I'm, daughter I'm and thinking David's outside, wife. I'm thinking outside the, the Davison slash oh, no. tenant family. Yes, okay. Um, uh, who else have we got? Who else have we got? So we've got Sadie Miller, of course, from Elizabeth Sladen, daughter. Yep. Yep. And also um, Daisy Daisy Ashford. Daisy Ashford. Always put those two together, playing yes. their mums. Playing their mums' roles. Um, it's interesting how many of them are actually playing close family connections or either, yeah, connections there. But yeah, that's that's a few. There's probably there's bound to be more. So in the comments, guys, why don't you tell us who else have we missed? Because I'm sure we've missed lots and lots of others. Very good. All right, let's crawl up out of the rabbit hole. And I just want to talk for a few minutes about the Doctor Who episodes that Elizabeth has appeared in. Uh, the first one Elizabeth appeared in, Doctor Who-wise, is The the Secret History. And I know you've listened to that recently, Philip. So number 200 in the main range. And I've mentioned it recently on the podcast, but we'll mention it again since Elizabeth's here. It's a great story, isn't it? Oh, it's a wonderful story. I mean, Peter Purvis, Maureen O'Brien, and then link them in with Peter Davison as the as the doctor for them, and then put it in a Roman setting. The whole thing just works. And Graham so well. Garden as the monk. 
Yes, oh, I love the Graham Gardner's monkey so good. So it's, it's a shame, shame we lost Graham Gardner. It's, was there any more of, of him after this, or was this did, it? He, no, he did. He did other. He did a number of monk roles because he, he was the monk. Yeah, all he did the eighth. Do, he eighth did the eighth Doctor. doctor then he did this. Um, and I don't recall anything after this. No, yeah. he may not have done. I, I mean, I, I do love. The, I do love, love the latest monk too, which is who's the latest monk? Um, Rufus Hound. Rufus Hound. Rufus is brilliant too. The monk is such a good character. But yeah, surprises never return to the TV, but maybe he will because yeah, Big Finish has done such a great job job with him, and he's such a complex little character. Not evil as such, but just this was this was all Graham Garden did. He only did the Eighth Doctor once. He did one, two, three, four episodes of Eighth Doctor, and this episode. That's it. Is that all? He feels really embedded to be finished, though, with only five. He stories. does. He does. I mean, he did. He was in a couple of other stories, not playing the monk in in other guest roles, but yeah, they're the only two. Yeah, but I, I know, I know um, Elizabeth Morton has a great role in terms of the Roman woman that she plays and i suspect that the her role there is why she came back in cicero because she also returns doesn't she which is non-doctor who but that's yes. cicero the, why should the, people listen to cicero people should listen to all those originals um, originals because they are so brilliantly written and acted and are just amazing stories i think i'm just thinking of any of the originals all the originals are stunning in different ways mm. um but cicero it's Roman history, it's politics, it's kind of the West Wing done in Roman times, but it's got l lovely intrigue in terms of courtroom drama, it's got a great court case happening, it's got all these different elements all running at the same time, and just yeah, re really brilliantly acted, and a yeah, stunning cast, and Elizabeth's part of that. And speaking of other other non-Doctor non Who that she's in, she was in uh, an episode of The Avengers, The Lost Episodes, which was the first set of Avengers stories that Big Finish put out, weren't they? They were. So The Avengers, which well, I, I've not seen any of the original Avengers they, they, they TV show produced, mm -hmm. and I think there's only a few episodes that have survived out of the whole first season. I think it might be seven surviving episodes out of 20 or whatever. And if, so big, if that. If that. The Big Finish was able to reproduce and re recreate those missing episodes. And they're really good too. Those those episodes. If you've ever if you've not seen them, I can't believe you haven't seen them. But they're so different to the to the later episodes. It's right. Like, so I've seen, I've seen a totally different on show. Blackman on. So I've seen from second season on everything. Right. But that first, yeah, I've not, I've not actually seen. But the, the, it is a very different feel, and, and certainly the audio picks it up. So the Big Finish range, it's very sixties, early sixties. Very spy espionage. Um, it does feel so over the period. The music is just wonderful, and it's that slightly heightened acting that they do, and the very clear RP. But it's yeah, great, great little stories. Then all those early box sets of the Avengers really worth listening to. And if you, yeah, pick up on sale; they're quite cheap. Yeah, and one other uh, story that she was in the classics range was Dracula. She was in that too. I haven't heard that one myself, but uh, many of the classics I have heard, and they always do a great job at those too. So, yeah, Mark uh, Gattis loves if, these classics. For an even larger role, Elizabeth uh, had a guest starring role in The Waters of Amsterdam, another Fifth Doctor adventure. Strange how she keeps getting lumped with the Fifth Doctor, isn't it? Yeah, strange. Maybe, maybe, maybe how does that work? Save on travel and parking. They travel Car together. Carpooling. They carpooling. carpool. <laughs> so she uh, she had a great role there, and I don't know if you remember the Waters of Amsterdam, written by Jonathan Morris, 
It's got Janet Fielding, Sarah Sutton, and it's set immediately after the Ark of Infinity. So when they come back and pick up Tegan after being left at Heathrow for that while. So there's a lot of sort of backstory behind what Tegan got up to in that interim time between Time Flight and the Ark of Infinity. And during that time, she got into a relationship that she sort of didn't really want to stay in. <laughs> the, the guy was trying to propose to her all the time and she was trying to get out of it. So that was really, really interesting. Uh, turns out that the guy that she's propo that's proposing to her is an android. Uh, so that makes the story interesting as well. Um, that's why he's so perfect. Um, but yeah, a great a great story, and Elizabeth has a great role in that too. So I would I would recommend uh, anyone have a listen to that. So what I'll do is I'll throw in a trailer for the Waters of Amsterdam, and then we'll come back with the star villain of that piece, Elizabeth Morton. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Nessa, are you all right? I thought I saw something in the canal, just out of the corner of my eye. What sort of something? Doctor Who, The Waters of Amsterdam. It's almost as if the rain is trying to get in. It is. What? This rain isn't a naturally occurring phenomenon. What do you mean? Watch out! The window! Behind me! All of you, behind me! They're falling out of the rain. Ah, there you all are. I thought you might be in trouble. And it turns out I was completely right. It's no use. Those things are everywhere. Every canal, every storm drain, every dripping gutter. You may be right. You are Of course, It's no good. We're surrounded. You have been Ready, all of you. When I say run, run. Big finish. We love stories. Run! Well, it's my great pleasure to welcome Elizabeth Morton. G'day. Hello. Morning. Morning for you, evening for, for us. Um, yes. <laughs> well, obviously, we, we're we interested in hearing about your, your book, which has just recently been released, uh, called uh, The Orphans from Liverpool Lane. Uh, I'll get to that soon, but I'll just go through some of your other books. You've got A Liverpool Girl, um, mm -hmm. A Last Dance in Liverpool, Angel mm -hmm. of, of Liverpool, mm -hmm. um, and the girl from Liverpool. I'm sensing a theme there. Yeah, I'm picking a theme there too. <laughs> yes. What's your connection to Liverpool? Well, I'm from Liverpool, and um, my family, my dad was one of ten, and his father died, and it, it, it's all very um, fertile ground for retold stories and imagined stories um and i i've been writing various um i've been writing scripts um and drama and i happened uh, upon the genre of saga writing uh, through my agent really and through another writer and actually it was very much a feeling of coming home so saga writing, um, which I really enjoy, um, is a very, it's, it's very genre based. So Liverpool, in all the titles, 
Um, all the titles are chosen by the publishers. Liverpool is very, it, it's kind of universal in that lots of people emigrated from Liverpool, Liverpool, the connection with the Beatles, um, and also my books, because of their themes, um, there is this huge connection. So I, so also in the in the genre sagas, you it, it's you write quickly and um, you build you build up um, a readership, and they like to know where the book is set, what the in a way what they're going to you know, the tone of the book. So that's why Liverpool is in all the titles. I don't choose it, but it's it's um, it's very much part of of, of the genre. Because Liverpool, Liverpool has become quite a modern city. But what was it like yeah. growing? What was it like when you were young, growing up in it? Well, I grew up in. You know, I remember the the nineteen eighties, and it was it was a pretty depressed city. And in fact, I look back. I do quite a lot of research, and I look back at films and and photographs of the nineteen eighties and the nineteen seventies, and it's it's kind of almost Dickensian. Um, it, it was very, it was a fantastic city to grow up in because I think there is always this sense of, especially where I I was brought up a little further down the coast and there's a sense of kind of looking outwards. Um, and so you want to get away from it, but you want to bring it with you when you get away. Well, that's how I felt about it. Very vibrant music. Um, the theatre, you know, that all all fantastic, fantastic place to to have to to for, for your imagination really. But but the town, it was the times of, you know, the, the great the poverty that came with the decline of of industry and the docks, and of course now it's really different, and it's 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 um it's that I mean, there still is if you you know what once if you go beyond the center of liverpool there is still great deprivation but the, there's a feeling of renewal and some amazing amazing cultural um the tate and the docks and the you know i, I if, you've, if you've never been to liverpool please 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 come to liverpool because it is a it's a wonderful city but when i was growing up it was yeah, it was football was was the thing. Football and music, um, and just that fighting spirit. I think the fighting spirit because of what happened with the dock workers. So my dad and his family were were you know remembered what my dad did work at the docks actually before when he was young used to go down there and and um, you know people come along and employ you on the day so that there is that very um yeah there's a there's a fighting spirit in Liverpool which I try to bring in my books this is not about Doctor Who at all is it I mean, oh, we'll get to it don't you worry we'll get to that get to I, I, I wanted to ask it particularly about your latest book yeah. um the the orphans from Liverpool Lane I was yeah. I was really touched by the opening scenes of that book personally because um, I'll tell you my personal story. Um, I was born in the early 70s at a time when 
young unwed mothers were sort of frowned upon and babies mm. were taken away for adoption mm. from their mothers. Sometimes mm. mothers would have a pillow slapped over their face and, mm. and the baby's taken away without them even being mm. seen. And that was me. I was one of those babies taken away. Um, fortunately, I had a fantastic upbringing. I was adopted by beautiful parents. Um, but it just, the scenes resonated with me, the opening scenes, even though they were different, it was a different time. Yes. Um, those scenes where what what was an unwed mother to do in those days uh, where she went to the orphanage and left yeah. the baby there, um, yeah. uh, that that really touched me. So where did the idea for this come come from? I think the the orphans of the living, you, you've got a bit of a connection through your grandmother to to that story. Yes, yes. So so I um, so I was from a very religious family. So my father's family, there were many of them. One was a nun and a, a priest. So I did spend a lot of, I spent a lot of time in and out of the these institutions. Um, but, um, so I kind of know how they smell and how they feel. And, um, and the unwed mothers thing was, I mean, that's, that's so, interesting that, that that you've got personal experience Dwayne because the the you know there there were some experiences that were positive and there were some experiences that were not so positive and the orphans of the living um it was after I had written the book which is always I've said this is my version of time travel uh, it, after I wrote the book I was talking to one of my uncles who's in the 90s and he'd written he'd he'd read another book that I'd written this along the same theme, and he said, "Oh, you got it just right." He said they were just like that, the girls in the orphanage. And I said, "What do you mean, the girls in the orphanage?" And bearing in this is bearing in mind this is after I'd written the book, and he he said, "Well, when when my grandmother became widowed, they did what everyone does." in in you know that catholic community they turned to the priest and they the younger siblings were put um in an orphanage now weirdly that my orphanage i'd written about it it was completely fictitious i'd, I'd made it up you know and um yet there was an orphanage near to the place where i grew up and in later life um my family became involved with with uh you know the, the the orphanage in various ways my father was a headmaster so it was an obvious connection but he never spoke to us about that time um it was only my uncle who my father died when I was quite young so never had the opportunity to talk about that but it sent a, it, it just I then started thinking oh is is you know, can we inherit memory without actually, you know, in, in knowing, remembering, being told? Is it hearing other people talking about it? Do you get these snippets? And of course, if you're a writer and you, you just let your imagination um, take over. Am I? And then another, another very similar thing happened. Um, in an earlier book I wrote. And I wrote about when, when we were in Liverpool, my dad used to always tell a story. We'd go under the 
what they call the Tate and Lyle shoot in the dots, where the sugar used to travel from one side of the road to the other and go to the Tate and Lyle factory. And he always used to say, oh, if, if you're naughty, you'll, you you know, who knows, you'll drown in that sugar. And uh, he used to talk about his drowning in the sugar. Um, and we'd all laugh. And then when the book came out, I'd, I again, I'd imagined this incident because I thought it was very obviously visual and interesting and and I wrote in the back of the book in my acknowledgements, thank you to my dad. I don't know whether that story was true or not. Um, however, you know, it, great to be able to use that as a springboard. And then a cousin got in touch and said, yes, the story was true. And it, it was um, your dad's sister-in-law's um, cousin or, or brother who had drowned in the sugar. So in fact, when he was telling us that story, he didn't say, this happened to someone, I, uh, you know, the, he, he, um, or did he? And then I'm thinking again, the same things, these it, moments that we, you know, hear these snippets, fragments, um, when you, you know, are they all on the hard drive and you bring it together, but you're not actually sure where, where it's from. Um, so it was quite startling to hear that, that um, I mean, my, my family, it was my grandmother then got a job. So after she, she had these children and after she put them in the orphanage, um, she was able to take them back home. And um, because they had elder siblings, I think it was, you know, the elder looked after the younger. But yes, so it, it, it's, um, I, I am... I do feel um, compelled to put these things, these stories to paper, and and you know, write a entertaining and and um, you know, enjoyable um, book. Um, the genre always demands an uplifting ending, and that suits me. Um, so, but that's very touching, Dwayne, to know that's, and of course, in in Australia. I mean, I write in this book about the the children being sent away. I noticed so that too. That, yeah. Yes, mm. you know that that you. I'm sure you know a lot of uh, uh, families where th this happened, and and um, it's only really now in the last ten years that I think people are looking back and thinking. Yeah, possibly in the in the generation behind me as well, even more yeah. so. Because there was much yes. more stigma when I was born, things were yes, starting to yes. change a little bit. Where there was a bit more yes. support for younger mothers. The terrible but, um, stigma of being an unmarried you know, it was so wrong, mm. wasn't it? it was so, uh, it was so unfair. But that was when the church had a an enormous hold, and um, you know, I we were terrified. I was terrified. You know, we it we it would have been, you know, a, a, just such a shocking thing and um it's it, 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 it yeah generations out there that that um you need to keep talking about it i think yeah speaking of shocking things uh, i i noticed in your introduction too that uh, you'd spent some time playing the piano accordion in uh, northern <laughs> working men's clubs tell us about oh, that is that shocking <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's, I was just trying that's to segue, funny. that's all. <laughs> no, it's a good segue. Um, yes, well, so I was really, I had a real pull and push because I was um, 
so I was an actress before I was a writer. And so I was interested in, I was in dancing school and my mum was a piano teacher and her mum run a dancing school. So I had on this side, her brother was a violinist. So all this side that, you know, quite wanted, I wanted, I loved that. And I wanted to, you know, to perform. And then the other side was the, was the Catholic religious side. And so there was a real clash. So I used to start playing the piano accordion um, because it was very Irish and I used to play it in church, believe it or not. And then someone um, came along and said she she was a a manager for a group called Our Kids, Our Kids in in Liverpool. And she said, oh, I want I'm putting a band together, girls. Do you want to be in the band? And um, I was one of only, I, could, I played the piano accordion. <laughs> oh, yes, we don't. So then next thing, I'm I'm playing the accordion in all sorts of like British Legion clubs. And, and then when I went to London to be an actress, I went to Guildhall and we were all, as it got to leaving, we all discovered we had to have an equity card. Without an equity card, you couldn't have a, you know, um, you couldn't get a job. And so I went back to the club. So I said to my dad, right, I'll go back on my own. I'll, you know, we, we'll, um, and I rang up the, the, uh, an agent and said, you know, I'm looking for work. I'm a, I play the piano and over the phone. He said, British Legion Club, Kirby, Saturday night. I just and so I was there with my, uh, with my, with my piano accordion singing. Can I say, I played notes. piano accordion for years. No, I actually, I actually did eighth grade piano recording, but I um I tried that for our Sydney Conservatorium High School for of music, and they wouldn't accept me because they didn't count the piano accordion as a musical instrument. No, <laughs> so I couldn't I couldn't get into the Conservatorium of Music because of that. No. Oh my gosh, that's amazing! That I mean, how appalling though. Yes, you see, no no one ever took me seriously either. So they. <laughs> No, <laughs> but it's great. I've, I've found in later years it's a great instrument when you know a party. If you've got family and everyone's playing an instrument and whatever, you know it's a bit. It's it's great for that, isn't it? Do you still? It's a very now? jolly instrument, isn't it? Yeah, I, 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 I occasionally play it for the kids because they find it more yeah. amusing, and they all play real instruments. I mean, I, I mean, piano is only one of my instruments. It was my first one when I started when I was four. Um, but none of the kids take it seriously. But I mean, I used to go busking with it and, you know, earn some money over the holidays. And yeah, it's been you're a one band, aren't you? you exactly. You, you do everything. You mentioned your acting uh, before and um, your first television. I've got to mention that because um, I was a young teenager at the time and um, I, I came across this show on television called The, called the Tripods. And uh, being a young teenager, I was in love with every girl that appeared on the screen in that show, and you were one of them. So uh, when I saw that that was your first television, I was I was thrilled. So um, what what can you? T- I have to ask you about the tripods. What can you tell us about that? Well, um, that was one of my first jobs out of drama school. Um, it was fantastic, partly because it was the BBC, um, and in those days it felt like they had money. So as a consequence, we we filmed some of it in Manchester and then it's like, right, we're all going off to Switzerland now. It was unbelievable. So we all went off to Switzerland um, in this beautiful hotel and we filmed um, 
we filmed, so there's Lisa Maxwell, John Shackley um, uh, and Kerry. And we, it, it just, it just seemed a kind of glorious, easy shoot. You know, I'm sure behind the scenes it wasn't, um, but I couldn't believe it. I kind of thought, oh my gosh, you know, this, if if I could continue to do this job is, is amazing. Not not that job, but I mean being an actor. Um, but it was it was it was very uh detailed, you know, the costumes were very and the makeup, it was very um it was a children's show, and yet it was really um well thought out and of course the books are are, are are um I think probably we didn't know the books at the time. You would have known if you were a sci-fi, but they weren't known. Um but the books were fantastic. Um we filmed also we filmed at a um the games. Do you remember the games? At one point I remember filming in a in a dog stadium. Where would that have been? I think it yeah. was in Manchester. Yeah. Yes. That was a dog stadium, was it? It yeah. looked like a real stadium. It was great. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think so. I mean, it was, it was really, uh, and then, and then the, another funny th thing happened on that job was we had a great guy called David Innes Edwards. And he was, in my mind, he was just the guy who drove us around. I think he was probably the first. And I met him many years later with, Peter on I think Peter was filming at home with the Braithwaite's and I was like oh David are you driving on this show and he's like oh I'm the director now <laughs> so so he he'd sort of gone you know kind of gone his career had progressed but he he was great at the time just you know and I was good friends with Lisa Maxwell it was amazing yes it was and in fact someone's trying to get some kind of reunion together this summer here i'm in touch with someone in new zealand apparently it was it was much loved in new zealand I, I, it must have traveled in a way that we weren't aware of it was paid for by channel 7 australia so partly. they could partly yeah. So that's yeah probably what funded your trip to uh, switzerland <laughs> <laughs> good that's great no but yes, it's probably well, also yeah. what sent the production broke so you couldn't film series three maybe 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 <laughs> i don't know why they cancelled it it was it was a shame bizarre because, bizarre thing yeah because it was successful and you know people watched it but well wow. Dwayne talks about it all the time it's still successful to me even though it's incomplete but, <laughs> yeah it was amazing music i remember that who did the music um the name's gone from my mind but yes you're right yeah. it was it was incredible is it ken Freeman was that his name? No? Oh yeah, Ken Freeman. Is that was that him? Yeah. Not too long after that, you were you were working on Jeeves and Worcester. Is that right? Yes. So, so that, before that, that, before Hugh Laurie and Stephen Fry were massive, I suppose they were pretty big then, but they yes, got even bigger yes, after that. What are what are your memories yes. of working with them? I mean, it was great fun because the the scripts were so funny. The scripts, you know, PG Woodhouse, they're so funny, so you couldn't help but even when you're overrunning and things are going wrong. I seem to remember that was one of the things that was time was always running out. That was a bit of a, um, because it was a big costume drama. Um, 
And but we filmed it. And I, I <laughs> funny enough, I was at a pub quiz the other day, and one of the questions was, "What famous, um, what famous castle um, was?" No, what what was High High Clear Castle famous for? And of course, the answer is it's it was the location for Downton Abbey. But ha ha, I got an extra point because it was actually my house in um my dad's house in Jeeves and Worcester. That's where we filmed all the scenes, um, the Madeline Bassett scenes. So um that was amazing as well, because we got to meet, you know, all the people who were running the house. It it was yeah, it was. It, they did four series, and I was in the last two. And um, they did have a habit of recasting. They, they'd get a new director in, of course, they couldn't recast Hugh and Stephen, so they would often recast some of the other characters. And I thought, oh, Madeline will be on the block. But um, fortunately, it was a director I'd worked with who directed London's Burning, who um, was employed to do the last. Um, series so he said oh well I'll have Elizabeth but I'll put her in a brown wig instead of a blonde wig um, <laughs> just the, so I, every director sort of wants to make their um, stamp so I was I was lucky um, to do two series but it, it, it was and they were very charming and funny as just as you'd you know you'd expect them to be that their thing I think at the time they were known for their comedy, a bit of Fry and Laurie. That that was, but yes, you're right. They they went on, but they it was perfect casting. They were they were perfectly cast. Um, it, and I love the slapstick nature of it as well. And Hugh was very physically very funny with that. That was great, you know, to be part of. Yeah, they're both yeah. hilarious. Now. I was listening to a Big Finish CD today that you were listed as being cast in, but you weren't in it too much. It was called um, The Secret History. I don't know if you remember that story, but what struck yeah. me was the extras because you appeared with Peter yeah. on yeah. the extras and you were talking about how you got together and I, I'd forgotten all about that um, There, because that story was about a character called The Meddling Monk who was originally played in Doctor Who on television by Peter Butterworth. So yes. what's the connection between Peter Butterworth and you and your husband meeting? Okay, so yes, it's all come coming full circle. So I worked with Peter's son, Tyler Butterworth. He was an actor and we were very close friends. And Tyler um, had just done a series with Peter called... I can't remember. It was a comedy series. Um, and anyway, t Tyler, Tyler basically set us up on a blind date, which was which was um, very sweet because all, I'd been offered two jobs. I'd been offered an episode of Campion and um, a very peculiar practice. And I couldn't do either of them because I think I'd been booked to do something else. So I, I always thought how nice to meet Peter you know, not through work, but but in a social situation, uh, he was a bit sort of hopeless in in kind of. <laughs> he he's always said to this day that he asked me out, but I I I wasn't aware of it. So <laughs> he always said, "Well, I tried, I tried the first time we met, but the second time we met again through Tyler, um, 
we we hit it off and there you go so when we did when we were doing the the extras on that doctor i came to big finish because there was an episode where an actress was for some reason in america or somewhere she wasn't available so they needed someone to read in so i read in and then she did her lines after so this was kind of before the t- the days of oh we'll just get her to zoom you know <laughs> this was um long before covid changed all that but in um so that's how i came to big finish so i was just uh you know kind of helping out my husband <laughs> and then um yeah we we then i ended up working for them a bit so really by nice. blind date did, they, did you actually know Sorry. who do you know did you know who you were meeting or wasn't he wasn't he turned up you worked out who he was no no i knew yes it wasn't strictly a blind date okay. so we we had met at this other place where peter had asked me out but he kind of asked the whole table out because he was too cat candid about it would you like anyone <laughs> to come on to some anyone like to come <laughs> so i thought well so um i thought i'm not going to be the only one to go oh yes i'd love to so um so this was a second date it was kind of blind in that i didn't really know it was it was set up in that I thought there would be about seven of us having dinner, but it was very much Peter and I and Tyler and another friend. And then Tyler kind of made his excuses and left. And I was looking for a piano teacher at the time. And you know, or Pete, I had a piano teacher and Peter was saying, oh, I'd really like to learn the piano a bit more. Do you have the number of the piano teacher? And that's <laughs> the, the, the piano lessons were never had. <laughs> um, well, the piano yeah. lessons worked. I, I saw Peter playing the piano on one of your socials. He was uh, singing "Happy Birthday" to himself. Yes, yes, yeah. We, we so have, it did yeah, work. We, we, it did work. It did. Work. But no money, money was exchanged with third parties. <laughs> that um, yeah, no. This we we occasionally sit down and play the piano together. So the, the years of the piano accordion had paid its dividends in the end, Philip. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> I've got my piano behind me, but it's more of a stand now than actually a... Uh, it's not played very often. Yes, is that my husband standing on it? <laughs> yeah, your husband's up there. It's, I've got several of your husband all around me. It's a bit sad. <laughs> <laughs> that is very sad. You're playing with dollies of Elizabeth's hu- uh, husband. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Oh dear! Oh, so I've got one right. This as well. Oh, oh there yeah. he is. <laughs> so, what's that like being a being a member of such a huge Doctor Who family? There's a couple. There's the Troutons, which are which you know come and go yes. from from Doctor Who, but there's actual doctors the in your family. In well, yeah, the Pertwees too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but um, with a couple of like? doctors and a couple of a doctor's daughter, and even yes. because there's your immediate family. With with Georgia included in that too, but there's also is it George? Is it George Watkins? Yes, he's done some. Is your nephew? Yes, George, my nephew. He's yep. done big finish, and Louis and Joan have both done big finish as well. So, um, what's it like? It's do you know? It's what you know as the everyday. It becomes the everyday, doesn't it? I mean, I I. I, I 
sometimes you notice when you're outside you know if if we're together in a family they say if we're at the park David's there and George is there and the kids are there and 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 sometimes you you kind of get a sense of if someone knows Doctor Who then that is quite um you know unusual is it unusual but it it's it's you know you still got all the dramas that everyone else has getting kids through exams and you know getting them to school on time and you know <laughs> getting Peter sort of not forgetting his hat or you know all those things that we all just model on with um it's it's no different but I suppose I suppose there is a sense because it's a family of actors and writers it's quite um you know that's occupies a lot of the conversation um I've got an idea for this or what you know you know wanted it so so that is um you know that's that's but probably if you're in a family of doctors you'd all be talking about some new medicine that was coming up or you know some what some terrible you know person did in the in, you know in surgery or I don't know what doctors talk about but um we're different kind of doctors of course so yes yes the conversation obviously you know but it doesn't occupy our lives entirely I often think that my writing my books because as I said I've written drama before but writing my books is a way of just having a bit of downtime from the sci-fi <laughs> um just because writing a book is incredibly solitary it has to be there's no way around it you know um and so it, it requires hours sitting on your own and just going you know into your own head you're not um though Peter and I will get have back and forth conversations about things I'm writing um but yeah, what's it like? It's it's okay. <laughs> it's do okay. do you understand the the love that that fans have for for people in your family, or is it or is it a bit bemusing to you? I think I, after so many years with Peter, I do understand it. I do understand it, and I, I and I know it's really important as well to 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 allow you know to 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 embrace that and to um i i think i do understand it because i've seen and met people who who for whatever reason are so touched by it and um and also that you know this might seem odd but i i do understand it because i've got two sons and they're monumental Doctor Who fans you know aside from everything they're doing they're 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 like Doctor Who geeks you know and um and David's a fan too always was and David yes of course and Peter yeah yeah but when you can when you see it through your son's or a child's eye in that way you so you know I know what it felt like for them to 
you get to meet Peter Capaldi, Matt Smith, David, you know, it's, it, it's, so then when someone who we don't know has the same feelings towards Peter, um, then, you know, you, you, you can understand, you, you can understand that because you've been there. I mean, I, mean, I never forget, um, the episode with Billy Piper leaving and and um, David and we didn't know David at the time and we were at a family party in Liverpool and and Louis and Joel was a bit young but Louis just sat sobbing and sobbing and sobbing <laughs> and because uh, it was on in the corner of this pub or like that and so there is that I don't know what it why it is but, um, I do kind of know, but I'm sure better people can have studied it and, um, you know, would be able to tell you why. But certainly I do understand that it is such um, that there's a special place in the world for it because it's very um, touching and, and changes people's lives, you know, for the better. Absolutely. Now, today I was also listening to um, another Doctor Who adventure for Big Finish that you had a larger role in. It was called The Waters of Amsterdam. And um, just what's it like uh, working with your husband? It was great. However, I seem to remember it was quite it was quite nerve wracking in a way. I mean, for, for, for both of us, I think probably, you know, he really... I suppose knows me more as a writer, and um, so I think he he was thinking, oh, you know, what if I'm terrible or what? If, you know, you feel so, and and then the other side, I'd feel I was feeling, oh, I'd want to be okay and everything to be okay uh, for Peter. So so it, it's um, so it was a little bit kind of nerve wracking, but once we got going. Um, He's very funny, Peter. He's very dry and funny. So I was a bit more underlining, getting the pages in order, all that, you know, just just so that I didn't, you know, mess it up. Um, but then, uh, I, by nature, I think I'm I'm quite well. Peter would say slapdash, but I I absolutely appalled by that. <laughs> but I would say that I I have got quite a relaxed nature I'd like to think so um so we met somewhere in the middle so even though I was nervous I knew it would be okay they're great guys and you know um it, it was it was fine when I do my books narrate my books um that's always quite funny because when I write I forget how many different accents I write and Peter's always absolutely horrified he's always saying to me, please write a book with just just a Liverpool accent because it's always I'm trying to do the Irish and then I'm having to go to the Welsh and then I'm going somewhere around the world and I'm <laughs> so so um I yes I didn't have that problem but um yeah it was they're, they're very supportive big finish and it, I've seen that change again from when Peter started, I mean, I seem to remember it was not long after he'd been doing the Bill Bags things with Mark Gatiss. And, you know, that was sort of like fan stuff. And then 
he was he began to do these the audios and now it's just amazing how it's um become it's so much part of the doctor who canon really isn't it absolutely so, and um, and you yourself yeah. haven't you haven't just done Doctor Who. You've done things for Big Finish like um, Cicero. Philip and I really enjoy Cicero. Yeah. Um, that's a yeah. really cool uh, original yeah. release from Big Finish. And you've done some Avengers and you've done Dracula as well with Mark Gatiss. Vienna too, I think. Yeah. Did you do Vienna yeah. as well? Oh, Vienna, wow. so, yes. Yeah. yeah, yes, yes. So what, what what's it like for you with those other productions? Do you, um, do you enjoy that variety? Yes, I mean they 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 were all great. Chase, um, and then each project, each play, drama is they're quite distinct uh, from one another. You know, they they and I would often be playing quite a few parts. Actually, I was doing different voices. Thinking about it, just not maybe not so so many Irish nuns, but um, <laughs> I was doing. In, in those big finish, um, I, I love that. And, you know, I like kind of hopping from character to ca- character within a within one uh, drama. Um, but, yeah, it, it's... What, what, what's fantastic about audio, especially... I've written for radio, for Radio 4, for a crime series. So I kind of know the... the limitations but is it because it's sci-fi it just it allows you to go so far and wide with your imagination um so you can tell these huge stories you know these these fantastic stories writing for drama on the radio that you know, you were able to do that. You can suddenly write a scene that's in a, you know, on a motorway, for example, <laughs> you know, with it, which you couldn't, with the noise and cars and, uh, you, I mean, to film something like that would, you know, you, you'd have half an eye on the constraint of budgets. and But, but big finish audio, the audios just seem to, have this huge landscape for storytelling uh, which is and I've been lucky to be part of that in these dramas you know whizzing around the planets or or yeah Dracula with you know <laughs> on a windswept moor you know that that's great great you've had quite a big career in acting why the choice to go from acting to writing so I'd always actually written, um, really going as far back to when I was eight years old. I got a joke published in Bunty magazine, which was like a girl's. And that, I never forget eight years, a terrible joke to, you know, why did the chicken or something? But just the feeling, oh, my gosh. I mean, the feeling of, of seeing your words, something that you'd come from your head on, onto paper and then being shared with people. Um, and so I'd always written and I'd started off writing prose and especially when you're an actor and there are those periods out of work inevitably. And so I wasn't very good at just waiting to see, you know, what was ne- coming in next. So I'd always 
started writing short stories and then um and then when inevitably when you when you're an actor often people say oh I'm interested in writing this could you help and and actually it was Tyler Butterworth who I first wrote something with um and then I decided to go back to my prose writing which is which is what I love and so so I began and in fact this was Tyler again oh my gosh the meddling monk (laughs) so he Tyler said to me um and I'd met Peter at the time obviously um and he said oh there's a short story competition called the London Writers Competition I was I just met Peter anyway I entered the competition and it was sponsored by time out so it was very kind of urban and and um and I won it so about that time so then that led I then that that led to more writing opportunities um agents and you know I think I, I got an agent through it and um I'd met Peter and we started to have a family and so then I, it, it wasn't that I was faced with a kind of terrible choice, acting or writing or children. It was just that I'd acted and without sounding too, um, you know, sort of prosaic, um, it was, it, it was all my acting, it felt had been um, leading up to uh this moment of writing and becoming a writer so it didn't feel like I was leaving acting and becoming a writer it really did feel like one was moving into the other and I continued acting a little bit I'd had Louis and then I was pregnant with Joel and I was in a play I was writing at the same time but I was beginning to get you know get somewhere with with that um i i'd written when i was overdue with one of the kids in the 10 days and so i couldn't act couldn't you know i wrote a short play and put that into um a competition and that won and so then i had a four month old baby and i had this play on and that was the prize just on for a couple of nights. I then went off to the Royal Court Young Writers Group. I don't know if you know that, but it's, it's um, you know, and from there to ITV, Coronation Street on a bursary. Um, so the writing was just becoming more, it was occupying more and more time. And then I had two children and then Peter was away filming. And so it, it just, as I say, it wasn't a choice, but I'd waited quite a long time to have a, family well not a long time but I was in my 30s so I just was ready to do the thing you know baby falls asleep run into a cafe and write another chapter write another scene um and then that's kind of when I was doing big finish as well moving forward because again that's something that was more but but I never wanted to be you know I don't I can't see how it would have worked with both of us acting if it meant we were both away having a small family um you know young family I I I 
unfortunately, I had this creative. So when I was doing the bursary for ITV, um, it would involve sitting in the story conferences and the storylining in Coronation Street, which was fantastic to hear that and see that. And I learned so much from that. But it, it was just like a few nights away or, you know, it wasn't like going off to be the kind of jobs that I had been doing, going off to Oldham Rep for seven, eight weeks, you know. Um, so that's it. I, I don't, in some strange way, I don't feel I've left acting because when you're sitting there writing, you're still playing all those parts. It's just... And you're still playing all the parts when you're reading your audiobooks, aren't yes, you? you? Yes, you are. You're still playing the parts in your head. You just connect them all together with telling everyone what it looks like and what it feels like. So so there's a huge juggling act in terms of, I mean, Peter's always been having so much work. He's one of the, you know, one of the best working actors in, I mean, acting is so unreliable for work and yet Peter seems to always have something on the go and you know more recently even in onto theatre in terms of musicals and things how do you balance raising a family trying to have a writing career a husband who is either not there or probably there too much <laughs> assuming he's not working he's just <laughs> always there is that a hard balance um yes <laughs> I think I think we get I think, well I think also those all those years as an actor and you know, life is, there's no certainty, there's no security, there's no job projection. You don't know, you know, you can't book a holiday for six months. Well, you can, but, you know, it's harder. All these things were, sort of, especially when you're starting out. Um, I remember thinking, oh, you know, I did, you didn't want to commit yourself to other things. And so you you learn to live you know, when the time, if you have time, I think you learn to use it quite well. Um, so, so certainly, you know, my writing routine has changed. So now I write very early in the morning. Get the door open. I write very early in the morning and, um, well, might not be very early to, but I think for most actors, it's only so I trying to get a good three hours in before the day starts. But when I had children, it would be when they were growing up, it would be when they were in school. So, you know, you take those moments or, you know, when they were asleep or um, also. Uh, so I think actors are quite good at adapting to a given situation. So. Um, some writers I know are absolutely, you know, they have their routine. They write quite nine to five, you know, they'll do that from, but you you never like that as an actor. So in some ways you, one is not like that as a writer. I mean, at the moment I'm writing, so I'm putting in my next book, just put it in actually. Um, and um, that is, I'm trying to do, uh, I'm do I, you know, I've, I heard a writer, one of the quite famous writers, giving a talk, and um, she was um, talking about how she speaks into her phone in her first draft because the 
the all the inverted commas and the you know character headings can sometimes stop the flow and i do that i found that really i enjoy that walking outside speaking to the phone without any distractions um and then come home and see what you've got uh so how do i do it yeah i i think it's it's i think i would find it more difficult if i was living a life that was very constrained in terms of you know get up the same time every day do this you know go to work have a holiday this step you know and, um I, i always absolutely love it when i send something off you know if i meet a deadline um and send it off i always feel elated because it's like i have a day if i do it in the morning i have a day that is just my day to do anything with because i've done you know i've got there i i stood you know i'm sure that's all writers feel like that um and then of course then it's the rewriting the re, you know that's just the beginning when you send something off but um yes and you know peter's he was you know a musical you know that was physically hard work a musical is you know stamina is um is is he was doing quite a few um and i think you change as well don't you your habits change to at what stage you are in life will inform your working habits as well you know when you're younger when you don't have kids and you know you'd think nothing of just jumping on a train or you know going off to <laughs> living in digs when you're doing theater and you know that just changes so you 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 just adapt so it's fine you've written for radio in the past has yeah. have you or has peter ever suggested the possibility of pitching something for for big finish or is that just not your your jam you're you're making me think about this because i haven't really thought about it carefully before because no one's asked us to do it so that's fine um um i you know if i'm honest I think uh I would have to I mean I love I love the idea of of you know of that of course that would be fantastic but I think in fact th- again thinking about funny enough my son has just finished a degree and his it, his final year was all about writing for radio and radio so and the other son's written as well so if I if I did anything I think I'd have to um get a, a a sort of sci-fi arm wing of the family with peter bringing up the rear i don't know if peter would do it well Wait, doctor who has lots of historicals you can set it in liverpool i can say historical liverpool story yeah i know i mean i write historical fiction i and and the orphans of the living and all that you know it's absolutely but i would absolutely need someone like louis and gold to kind of sit down with me and bring their their knowledge of of the genre to to you know what i had to offer so maybe who knows i'm very admiring of sci-fi writers because i think it's they've just got this kind of 
thing going on, this geek thing somewhere, somewhere. <laughs> it just lends it lends yeah. it brilliantly to the um to the to the storytelling, you know. Um I am writing at the moment, um, we've been asked if we would be interested to write a crime novel because the thing that I wrote for radio was a crime series, a couple of episodes. So um so Peter and I are have started that, but um <laughs> it's it, it's lively. <laughs> Working together. <laughs> Sorry. Working together is lively. <laughs> it's lively. <laughs> um uh, so but I, I'm enjoying it. I really am. I really am in, enjoying writing crime. We set it in the 1920s because um we both have a bit of experience of that period as well so and that's fun to write about anyway let's see let's see if we get anywhere with that before i say too much about it but i, I do enjoy writing i do enjoy writing <laughs> bringing different he's very good at the the kind of procedural stuff you know the, yeah you mentioned the, in your book uh, in the acknowledgments his logical brain <laughs> yes yeah that's it that's it so yeah. so I'll be like, oh, I want this to happen. Wouldn't this be so sad? And this would we can have, you know, maybe simple, you know, that happened, you know, in 1952. You know, they didn't have what ambulances that were, would get there quick enough. It was so it's that that kind of um to the the, the to, to bringing those two sides of the brain together, I think it is exciting, you know. Sounds great. Yeah. So if we were to seek out your books now, they are not under the name Elizabeth, are they? They're Eliza Morton. Yes. Is that because that, there's that, an Elizabeth Morton in uh, the US? Is that no, right? that, that, that's because that's it's not uncommon in saga writing when you have um, a series. So the first four books were all set in one particular mother and baby home. And I've been commissioned to write three, a trilogy for the orphans of the living so they just wanted something that would slightly set it apart but not too far so that you know when you were getting these books where they would be set and and the story is kind of a continuation so that's the reason for that oh gotcha so it's only the orphans of the living books that are under the name eliza yes yeah right yes yeah excellent so i've been commissioned to write three so can I just say thank you so much for uh, spending so much time with us and uh, I, I wish you all the best for, for this book that's thank just come you. out and all the rest to follow. Thank you so much. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Brother Samson. Yeah, that's me. I'm Brother Steed. Eh? He expects an attack on his life. An attack is made and it fails. What then? You've got to speak for me, Faber. You have made a mistake that can have very terrible consequences. Well, I appreciate that your surveyors have to... They're arsonists, not surveyors, Mr. Andre. They're going to burn you out. Get out of me, White. Get it off him! What is it? I thought I heard something. Back there. I can't see anything. Doesn't mean there's nothing. Get that table! What? The table, get it, quick! Wedge it in front of the door. Answer, darling. Oh, sorry. Did I make you jump? Uh, yes, yes, you did, rather. 
I'm going to the balcony. Ah! Is your majesty all right? right? You don't just need a buyer. You need a miracle. My dear Mrs. Carter, I do wish you'd accept the inevitable and relax. I'm going to be here for some days, so I suggest you make the best of it. You don't give me much choice. (laughs) (laughs) What is all that? Now start walking, Steve. You are going to meet your friend. (laughs) I want that fruit to rot right where it is. Goodbye, Peter. Hey, wait a minute. So that's the way you want it, is it, Frank? Oh, ah, where's the money? What's been happening? Shaddy's all of a lad, isn't he? Very uncooperative. But he seems efficient enough in his own way. Why do you devote so much time to my little projects? All right. Don't answer. I can't hear you. Don't worry. It's only seven o'clock. There's lots of time to think about it. The Avengers. The Lost Episodes, Volume 4. So we're very grateful to Elizabeth for spending some time with us, having a chat. It's been really interesting getting yeah. to know Elizabeth and uh, particularly about her, her work too. I'm interested in her in her stories. Yeah, very interesting and yeah, fascinating woman and really interesting to see what she has to say. So, yeah, thanks for, thanks for setting that up. Dwayne, that was great. And she was in the tripods. I've got to talk to people who are in the tripods. Yeah, I know. That was really what it was about, wasn't it? I, we all know that, it was about the tripods. That was the whole plan. I know. That's okay. You're allowed to do that. That's why I get all the Blake 7 people in too. All right. That's uh, that's almost all for today. It only leaves us to recommend something. And what I'd like to recommend it. Oh, hang on. No. My list says it's your turn. What, what okay. would you like to recommend, Philip? <laughs> I am going to recommend Dalek's Genesis of Terror. So it's only just recently come out. And there's been a bit of hatred about why it's been released and we don't need it. Um, can I say, if you are after a complete audio play, this isn't for you. But if you love Doctor Who, the TV series, if you love research, if you love knowing where things came from and what could have been, this is a really great release. So it's based on, well, it's, it's, it's episode one of the Genesis of the Daleks. But this is Terry Nation's original script before it got Robert Holmesified. And it is just fascinating listening to it. I've really enjoyed it for lots of reasons. Um, without, without giving spoilers, though, that being said, it's not a lot of spoilers to give because it's, you all know Genesis of the, the Daleks. Uh, it starts off with narration, and I, I don't like narration generally in stories. I think people know. I love the Companion Chronicles. I love, I love the main range and, and plays. All those sort of mid-range stuff with narration and acting, I've never been a fan of that. But in this case, the narration are the stage directions and it's Terry Nation stage directions. And so actually hearing exactly what Terry was thinking in his vision is really fantastic. So Nick Briggs does the narration. It's really well done. And so you're getting to hear all the stage directions plus what the original script was. Now, this, of course, is a story I know backwards. When I was a kid, I got the LP record. I've listened to Genesis Daleks hundreds, maybe thousands of times on that record over and over again. And then when the CD came out and we reviewed it only fairly recently, sometime. So it's a story that I know really well. And so I know all the dialogue. And so hearing what the original dialogue was and, and where it's close to and where it's not quite and where Robert Holmes has changed things. For me, this was just the most fascinating piece to listen to as a piece of history. So 
you know, people who love and I, and I, you know, most Doctor Who fans love that background stuff and love the production notes and love things to actually hear what could have been what the original script sounded like. Uh, hearing the actors play, I mean, it's, it's not a huge, I mean, the episode one hardly has anyone in the, in the main cast, so it hasn't got a lot of people. Um, you know, once again, Dr. Sarah Harry played competently by the usual people who are playing them now. Um, Tom Baker is sounding the older stuff heard him sound. So I think this was recorded more recently. A lot of the stuff we're still hearing coming through in terms of Tom Baker main range, well, the monthly releases was recorded four or five years ago. Whereas I think this was only recorded in the last few months or last six months or so. And so this is the first time I actually listened and thought, oh, actually he's sounding old, but it's still Tom and you want Tom to give the lines and you know, Tom does, gives a performance like no one else can give a performance. Yeah, highly recommended. As I said, it's received lots of hate on Twitter and other places in terms of unnecessary. But for people who love their facts, it's brilliant. Listen to it because it's it's just wonderful. And the music, uh, sound design, all that background stuff, and just to hear the slight differences, love it. Dwayne, what have you been listening to? Well, do you, do you recall recently I was asking you about reviews and whether they sway your <laughs> listening? Um I actually saw some of your review. You you put out reviews in little tweets. So recently you tweeted out how good you thought the latest Ninth Doctor box set was, Pioneers. Yep. And I hadn't heard it yet. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. Because I was, for, for various reasons, I was a little bit disappointed with the, with the previous set. So I wasn't, I wasn't diving straight in. I wasn't that excited. Um, but I gave pioneers a listen and wow it, it it was it it matched my expectations based on your tweets that you made so i was i was thrilled and particularly there's one story there in the middle written by rob valentine called northern lights yeah and there is a scene at the end where the historical character gets taken to the north pole because he was never taken he never got there in his lifetime and he it's such a joyous, joyous scene. I'm getting chills just thinking about it. Yep. It's probably my favourite scene of the whole box set, if you can pick out a specific scene. And the Ninth Doctor just sharing in the joy of giving someone else joy, yeah. like a goal that they never achieved in their life and, and helping and helping with that, considering the life this, this person had. I can't remember. I can't remember the name. Nansen? Danson? can't remember what the what the historical character's name is as one of those characters where i instantly went on to google and and started searching and doing a bit of research on the character because i hadn't heard of him and i thought but i feel like i should know this character i think everyone should yeah yeah because, I mean, of, because he, he, he was viewed as a bit of a villain because he beat scott to the to the south pole and you know it was just but who's part of armiston's i'm pretty sure it was part of armiston's group um and got to the south pole before um, Scott, and of course Scott died on the way. Or was it? Or was it the other guy? The other guy did because there, oh, there was two the guys. There's two of them. One, one, of them, one of them was with Amberston anyway. I think the, it was Johansson was the name of the guy that right went, yeah, went it, south. It, it, as I said, anyway. you know, my, my Norwegian history isn't great, <laughs> but it, but it, it's interesting that you know because we we remember Scott as the hero even though he died, and you know Amberston and, and his his group were always made to be the villains when they were just doing what. Yeah, they were they were being explorers and adventurers and got there first and did it better because they survived. <laughs> um, but of course, yeah, history is always written by the English white people, so it's interesting hearing 
the Norwegian history and these characters being brought to life, which, you know, it's the ticks of all those Doctor Who boxes of making you love history, which is what it did for me too. Sorry, interrupted. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's what I've been listening to. And, and based on your recommendation, I loved it. So I can heartily recommend it too. Good stuff. There, there, there's there, yeah, so a couple of good things have really come out recently. So it's, it's nice to be able to wave a flag and say, listen to this for these reasons. Yes. For sure. It was also nice to hear Kat Armitage as well, who we've we've had on the show after her first story a few, a few years ago now, actually. Yep. Um, and she's so excited and and uh, exuberant about her about her work um, writing for Doctor Who. So it was it was lovely to hear her voice again in the extras. It was three three great stories and very different stories. Yep. Yep. All right, that'll do us for this instalment of the Sirens of Audio. Been great to have. The pleasure of your company, Philip. And as always, you too, Dwayne. All right, we'll catch you all next time. Bye, everyone. This has been the Sirens of Audio, episode 157, The Doctor's Wife, with our guest, Elizabeth Morton, and your hosts, Philip Edney and Dwayne Bunny. Original theme music composed by Joe Kramer. Our website is sirensofaudio.com. Comment below to let us know what you thought of the episode or contact us via email at sirensofaudio at gmail.com or any one of our socials. Thanks for listening, audiophiles. We'll hear you next time.